0: Hello, um, this is Brian Anderson. Welcome to Cannabis is a Good Neighbor, uh, the first in our podcast series. Uh, this has been a long time in the works, probably at least two and a half years here with us. Uh, we've been talking about this. Uh, we, we started out with this as a blog. Uh, we're trying it new as a format, as a multi-series format, uh, interviewing uh, our our. Business partners working in cannabis throughout the United States and uh, coming to you from Cambridge, Massachusetts, Anderson Porter Design. is really happy to, uh, to be having this conversation because we found that there's a lot of stigma out there. There's a lot of myths that can be broken down and stigma that people have about, you know, what happens when cannabis comes to their neighborhood. So uh, we're going to go right to it, uh, introduce our first guest Andy Klein from American Alarm. We've been doing a lot of work together in the security space, so our first theme here of this podcast is really how security uh, lends to the notion of cannabis as a good neighbor. Uh, How does cannabis become a good neighbor? Why? And what is it that security can really add to when a facility gets designed uh, and is introduced into a neighborhood uh, that it really brings? So Andy, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your background. How did you get involved in this industry? um yeah go for it
1: well that's 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 a that's a big list of questions uh uh so brian i've been i joined american alarms team around five and a half years ago when uh cannabis in massachusetts was just starting to really get its uh, feet underneath it it was still department of public health regulating the market it was still um uh, medical only and um we ended up, uh, we ended up getting into the cannabis industry relatively early on. Uh, just uh, back when it first started uh, happening, uh, the big national companies weren't really touching cannabis projects. They didn't want to put their federal work at uh, at risk. Which I guess you know now they'll do. Now they'll do it. I guess the money is green enough now, but that's besides the point. Um, and the regional companies like American alarm who are used to working in regulated industries like banking and department of defense, et cetera. Uh, we, um, we ended up being the, the, the perfect choice for a lot of, uh, a lot of folks joining the, uh, you know, this budding industry. And I know everyone's sick and tired of that cliche.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Uh Andy, thank you. Uh, We are joined. We, we have Sarah Yanovich on the line with us too. And Sarah's going to be, uh, Sarah's going to be fact-checking. So, you know, careful what you say. And she's going to keep us on time here to try to hold this, uh, podcast to 45 minutes. I don't know, maybe we'll make it, maybe we don't. um, um, but, um, if you hear Sarah chiming in, that's what that's about. Thank, glad to have you here, Sarah. Yep. Glad to be here. So, um, yeah, tell me more about sort of like what is American Alarms? What is the position in an American Alarm? Was this a hard sell at American Alarm to you know to take on cannabis? Did, did your did your you know your existing customer base have any issues with it? How did that work from an internal perspective?
1: Um, so I I wasn't with the company when we very first started, but I have watched over the last five and a half years a, a genesis. Um, uh, I would say that it I don't think it was a very hard sell at American Alarm. Um, as long as it's a paying customer and it's legal here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, uh, and these tend to be great customers, good people to work with. Um, I I think that there's always been a recognition that there's, this is a valuable customer that you want to go and take care of as far as, um, as far as what we are doing in the industry. Um, we're taking, uh, these cannabis projects in many cases from from soup to nuts, um, from the permitting process uh, uh, with going to town meetings, board meetings such as uh, planning zone of appeals, et cetera, for special permits, um, meeting with police chiefs. Granted, uh, a lot of that work has it, it, we don't see as much of that today in 2021 as we did back a few years ago. And it's not because of COVID. It's because there's a recognition across the Commonwealth by by folks who are really looking at the cannabis industry objectively, that these folks are good neighbors and that, you know, these are safe facilities that are going to pay, you know, taxes and fees for, you know, their, uh, you know, for any potential impact on the community. And uh, they're just, it, it makes sense, especially in towns and cities where, uh, you know, They're looking to broaden their tax base. So we'll design the camera system, the electronic access control or electronic door locks, the burglar alarm. Um, One of the things that we do that uh, some of our competitors do not do is fire alarm, commercial fire alarm, which is always fun. Having been a firefighter myself, I have a particular passion for that.
0: No kidding. I did not know that. That is that's new that's new information to me. Did Brian,
1: we, we've been we've been friends for this long and you didn't know that it was a called firefighter? Oh no, no. Oh. We 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 need to go and hang out more. Um and so uh and we'll go and design a system, we'll install it, we'll monitor uh the alarm systems, uh we can go and uh do engineering work and design work, consulting work uh on the uh, security side. Uh, We, on the consulting side, we have a very narrow purview of we're security system experts and uh, broader security consultants do things like uh, HR and threat analysis and, uh, you know, other parts of security consulting that we don't do. We know what we're good at and we're really, really good at it. And so we just stick with what we know.
0: So... um You touched on something really interesting. I think to this conversation around how, in the early days, or when you joined five years ago or so, and this how you appeared in a lot in front of a lot more uh, planning boards and talking to the chief of police, maybe talking to the fire marshal because of your expert because of your background or your knowledge in 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 fire alarm work. I've noticed the same thing. Is there do you would you attribute a difference between so the Commonwealth of Massachusetts uh, sort of passed adult use in 2018 right we were a, we were a medicals only state uh, our law transitioned to allow adult use uh, 2018 that sort of came online late in 2019 and 2020 do you think there was a difference there in the way in which uh, your customers uh, or our shared customers have I noticed that have approached municipalities specifically around whether or not there is a security advisor on the customer team I noticed that a lot of medical applicants, had hired either a former police chief or a former, you know, um, prison guard, or there's a lot of different qualities that, of, of, of individual that people brought onto their team when it was medical. Have you seen a difference in the team structure of the of the customer from medical to adult use?
1: Um, that's a that's
0: a good question. I
1: I can only I can only address it anecdotally. I don't have you know any real metrics to you know back it up. I, we still see plenty of uh, the retired police uh, police chiefs and uh, police officers, detectives, troopers, um, you know, etc., private detectives, uh, you know, getting involved. Um, and you know what, if you, I, I say this to my cannabis customers, if you, and customers in general, if you think that you need it, go for it. Um, you know, it, it will, will work with anybody. Um, and uh, you know, for the most part, uh, that's been a, a a really really great experience. Every once in a while, um, you know, you'll have per- you know, uh, law enforcement involves strong personalities, right? Yep. And sometimes you have to um, work through some of the strong personalities. But even that's not that you, you can you can work through it. You can get through it. Um, I would say that the need for that might not be the same today as it was five to seven years ago, Um, because at this point in time, you know, there's this in Massachusetts, there's a a state police chief association. Police chiefs talk. And, you know, I can be in front of police chiefs in cannabis friendly communities where, you know, the police chief just looks at us and says, so you're the prospective vendor. That's great. I know who you are. You have a good reputation. So you guys are going to follow the regulations. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Okay, well, that'll make it a safe facility. The regulations are thorough. On to, and you're off. It, right. it just move on. Um, where I would say the uh, having a retired police chief, etc., may come in handy is if you are in a community where you are going to end up in front of a city council, a board of select people, um, uh, a, a planning board, or zoning board of, of appeals. If you're going to end up in front of that board and you are anticipating a, uh, some pushback from people who are elected potentially or representative of their community, but maybe aren't professional uh, professionals in a manner that ha- helps them understand this industry, and that's fine, having that retired law enforcement professional uh, on staff to be able to stand there and present and explain how this is going to be safe, how they're going to go and commit to security processes, how children are not going to get a hold of the cannabis product, uh, you know, not easily, at least, um, that right there may be a key time where you do need that.
0: Interesting. You know, so I'll, yeah what's what I'm thinking about, you know my background we had 20 years of, of general practice in architecture before we came to cannabis. and one of the pieces that aligned our practice to move from a general practice specifically into into working 100 percent now in cannabis was one of, was one of the pieces that we had done is we were the architects for the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston from 1999 to 2006 right? We had this massive infrastructure project in, in the city um, the, called the Big Dig. If listeners aren't from mass, it was a you know massive, massive project. And each of the abutters <clears throat> needed to fill in their properties afterwards. And one of those abutters, our customer, was the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. So we were in schematic design when the events around 9-11-2001 occurred. So that was our firm's deep dive into both physical and electronic security. So we found our transition into cannabis was buoyed, you know, in the early days because there was not someone on the team who really had a good handle and could talk to the chief of police and could talk to the fire marshal and, you know, had some bona fides in the market. I find that personally less and less impactful for my customers today. We're not really hired because of that background anymore. Right. Um, We have folks like yourselves on our, you know, on our teams or, as we, you know, just mentioned, you know, some people have a retired police officer or a security guard or, you know, uh, law enforcement professional. So, um, I've maybe that's a point towards normalization, right? Maybe that's maybe what we're seeing is, you know, and I'd be curious to hear your your, your thoughts on any. Is is this becoming, um, you know, do people recognize that when cannabis when a cannabis project comes into their town, the amount of security. And meeting the state's regulations means that that facility is really not good. There's not going to be an increase in drug dealing in the parking lot. Right. That's not how it works.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to describe the security for a for a cannabis uh, facility, uh, whether it's a retailer, uh, a manufacturer of uh, you know cannabis product or uh, a, even a cultivation facility you know when when you go and think about a camera system for a small business let's say anything from a convenience store to a um let's say your local machine shop your local you know light manufacturing kind of you know foundry the amount of camera coverage that a facility like that will typically have pales in comparison in both de- uh, depth and width of coverage and also quality of equipment right compared to what you know, your non-cannabis industry friend is going to do. Um, We were talking about uh, people who, if a, let's just take a retail store, for example, a retail store that if it was just a convenience store, a C store, a small clothing store, shoe store, you know, whatever else, uh, even if they were going to put cameras in, let's say that they were going to put five to $10,000 worth of cameras in for that type of, you know, shop on the high end they could easily be putting 20 to 30, maybe even $50,000 worth of cameras into a cannabis retail shop that is the same square footage. And these are just extremely rough numbers, but it's many times over what you would expect.
0: What are some of the things that the, that drives that, right? What is, what is from a business perspective, what's driving that? And from a Neighborhood perspective. What do you see driving? What do you see the drivers for that jump in cost? For that jump in coverage?
1: It's thoroughness. So, if you have a camera that is uh, in, a, in a in a on a ceiling in the corner of a room, right, and it's supposed to cover that entire room, let's say that your average camera has a ninety to hundred degree field of view, and that's a very rough number. Uh, you you are going to have a blind spot underneath that camera which necessitates putting in another camera on the other side, potentially, if that space, if that room could potentially contain cannabis. Right. Uh, it's the use of things like 360 degree fisheye cameras that are covering a whole 360 degrees. Um, if you think about, uh, Brian, have you ever walked into a bank or an old sea store and you look up and they got the blurry um, cameras on the monitor? And you look up, and it's like an old box camera from the oh, 90s. Sure. Yeah, I've seen that. All right, so let's just put this into perspective. That camera right there, that analog camera, is probably maybe a two to three, 400 line analog camera. That equates out in the megapixel world. So we all have smartphones, probably, or most of us, you, you know, you get sold on the megapixels. Um, that right there is probably a 0.3 megapixel camera. We're now seeing it for the longest time. The industry standard was to use two megapixel, which is 1080p. Okay. All the, all the rage for decades, right? 1080p. Now we're starting to even go and push into three, five, eight plus megapixel cameras. Now, what's interesting with cannabis facilities is that you have to balance thoroughness and quality of coverage and cost. The higher megapixel cameras, not, not only do the cameras cost more. But if you have a two megapixel and an eight megapixel camera side by side recording the same thing, how many more times is the uh, eight megapixel camera going to go and record? How much more storage does that need on the hard drive? It's a lot more.
0: And what's the what's the value proposition, right? What's the value proposition to the owner? Why would you spend that extra money, or why wouldn't you? You know, just to be you know being directly and honest about how you balance these costs out. What's the value proposition?
1: So. Uh, I I remember working on a project uh, late last year into this year uh, where a person who, you know, is opening up a facility said that they wanted 4K cameras for everything. And so we gave them that proposal and the storage requirements, because that's something else that's really separating the cannabis industry from everybody else. While the cannabis industry is required by law to maintain a minimum of 90 days, Um, in many cases you know uh, non-cannabis security systems one they don't have any recording retention requirements so maybe you're getting 30 or 60 days or maybe you're only getting two two days to two weeks you don't know uh, you know that runs the gamut the you know of that varies depending on what system you look at and also you have to inspect the system now on that value proposition, this customer, this pro- prospective customer, looked at the design and looked at the cost for that system and had a moment of, of, of panic, really. And we had to have a we, we had to we had to we had to gather around the campfire and really go and sort things out with this person. Of there are times and places to use higher megapixel cameras, looking at your driveway entrances, your vault spaces. Cameras over your point of sale system, but the hallway, the janitorial closet, because yes, the canvas control commission very well may be looking for cameras in those kinds of mechanical and closet spaces, but those closets, the mechanical spaces, the hallways, the lunchroom, the break room, etc. cetera, yep. you probably don't need that high megapixel camera. and Not only are you going to go and save budget on the camera, but again, I need less storage now. Right. And uh, we hear this phrase often from folks who are in the IT industry, oh, well, storage is cheap. And my response is nay. Storage for raw data is cheap. Storage for surveillance video, not so much, because it's not just the, the hard drive space, it's... The throughput, it's the bit rate, it's, it's the core processing power of that server to take in 24, 36, 550 cameras and record them all at the same time.
0: So the, the, let me jump in here. So the customer making a decision on what to purchase and how much of it to purchase and what lengths to go to, they need to evaluate what their own business needs are, right? And balance their own business needs from security. Maybe they want to monitor their transactions. Like a bar owner wants to monitor the bartender's transactions to know that there's no shrinkage going on, right? Or a casino may want to monitor the, you know, the poker table to make sure that the dealer isn't dipping, right? But the other level is they they need to manage the minimum standards required by their state. Right. So there's the outside influence saying, OK, beyond what you think you need, here's what the state has for you. Right. I guess. Are those is that fair? Is that, are those the two things?
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty good. Let's take it out of cannabis and let's put it into perspective of that, of the, the bar owner, uh, uh, you know, of the bar, club or restaurant. We're all familiar with that. Um, <clears throat> you, you need, you know, in some some cities and towns are now require that you have a working ca- uh, camera system. Right, I, I think Springfield's one of them. I think there's a few others. Uh, a bar room may need the you know the bar room where everyone's just seated may need some cameras for general coverage, but you just need general coverage. I don't need to zoom in and be able to count you know hairs on your beard. You have a beautiful beard, by the way, Brian. <laughs> um, this is radio. I'm a, I'm <laughs> a, I'm a, little,
0: I'm
1: a little bit jealous. Uh, but uh, what about the liquor room? Right. What about what about the cameras that are over your mixing stations? You know your your uh, your wet bar stations where the mixology is going on. Um, and what about over the POS? You want to be able to track from uh, the liquor room those bottles getting into the bar, getting checked into the bar, the being dispensed into mixing glasses or into you know serving glasses. And then that transaction actually being rung up, you want to be able to follow that person through the uh, through the process. And I'll be blunt: um, there are some real low end solutions out there in the camera industry that have you know freeware or you know really not really anything substantive uh, with their software, uh, VMS video management software. You're doing yourself a disservice. You're putting money into a system that. I, I routinely ask folks who have that, that sort of very basic DVR or appliance-based system from, you know, China, do you know how to use the system? If I If I came in, if I was a detective and I came in and said, someone was shot out in your parking lot last night, I need you to pull that video and download that video to this thumb drive for me. Right. Could you do it? I have yet to have a person with one of those systems actually say yes.
0: Hmm. Is that because they don't know how to do it or because it doesn't work?
1: Uh, They don't know how to do it. It's a convoluted solution. They just don't know what they're doing with it. It's the reason why we are really moving folks towards cloud-based solutions or at least cloud-interfaced solutions. Right. So camera footage is a lot of big bandwidth. You hear people talk about doing the cloud all the time. Not the best solution, in my opinion, for a cannabis facility with dozens of cameras. Because you need fiber pipelines. You don't need a fiber connection. You need a fiber pipe. But but uh, you can go and do software as a service, video software as a service, VMS, that is cloud-based. And that SaaS is much better for you.
0: Hey, I want to direct this question back around. This next question, I want to direct it back around to the uh, entertainment industry. You and I share a customer here in, in 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 close into the city of Boston. Let's put it without naming names, who uh, come from the bar and restaurant ownership perspective, and I have been enormously impressed with their. Um, Performance and their uh, ability—it first really became apparent. I just, I guess, what I'm drawing here is sort of, you know, every can, everybody comes to cannabis from a different background, right? And security may have different meanings for different people based on the backgrounds that they come from. Uh, I was tremendously impressed with folks who came out of the bar and restaurant ownership uh, because just at the very earliest level of doing community meetings, so community outreach is something that many states require the entity to do to sort of. Begin to break the ice with the neighborhood, right? And <clears throat> inevitably, somebody comes to these meetings, you know, usually a you know, well-intentioned member of the community says, well, what happens? What are you guys going to do about fake IDs, right? Because maybe they grew up in an era like I'm dating myself here. I don't know if it still happens, but, you know, you would get a fake ID to try to get into the bar, right? It's the oldest trick in the book. And this customer really impressed me because they had brought a prop with them to the community meeting and says, Oh, well, we handle that right here. Every ID has this such and what on it, and a little thing, and we put it under this little blue light or red light, I forget what it was, infrared maybe, and it and it shows up. And we know immediately whether that's a you know state-issued identification or not. So, like they were on the spot when it came to answering those kinds of questions from the community. Um and so they, you know, and it, it follows through to the way in which they, they, they run their operation. Um, do you see any other parallels in terms of, you know, where people are coming from or under you know, uh, that, that, that relate to security?
1: Yeah, I, I do. So, for example, uh, I, I think of it this way. We, I, we have a customer at American Alarm that I don't believe you guys are involved with. Um, same thing. Uh, they came from a, um, uh, a alcohol, uh, testing, um, and alcohol production, um, kind of background. And so they're used to the ATF or I believe they're now ATFE at the federal level being interfaced with them. And, you know, uh, and I'll tell you this much right now. Um, if the feds get involved with cannabis regulation, instead of leaving it to the states. That's not that. That's 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 even more difficult to meet those standards because the DEA has their own particular standards for um, controlled substance manufacturing facilities, and if they level those, we're going to have cannabis facilities having to do partial rebuilds. Actually,
0: that is fat. So this is this is worth exploring because I hadn't even thought about this. We have been doing a lot of future proofing with our customers, and future proofing usually in my world so far, has not really touched on security. It's always been about biosafety, food safety, things like good manufacturing practices, uh, quarantining, a lot of uh, mostly having to do with food and food safety and biosecurity. What you're bringing up is alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. What if that organization were to change their name and become the alcohol, cannabis, tobacco, and firearms, right? That's Tell me about that because I do have a background working at the federal level, as I mentioned earlier, With with, and we had to do things like bullet-resistant glass, right, BR level. And I have always advised our customers in cannabis to avoid going – it becomes a slippery slope when there's no federal level uh, mandate because which level do you choose? BR level one, two, three? It starts to increase like the caliber of the gun you know and this is a slippery slope like which piece of glass do you protect is it all glass where do you put them right do you start putting glass be- at every transaction counter how do you deal with that how do you advise your customers on BR level and do you think that that's coming do you think that the fed will cuz this could soon be le- this is already being talked about now under the Biden Harris administration at yeah, least I mean- legalizing at least legalizing cannabis i have heard nothing yet about the the security levels at the federal. Yeah,
1: so it, it, uh, here's an interesting thing to consider. Um, just to, you know, just to go and show how fun this industry is to uh, be in. So cannabis is a plant, you know plant material. So there's a high probability that you could end up with USDA involvement. Uh, right? it, it, gets yes. pro- it, it gets processed by manufacturing facilities that are. Uh, regulated, you know, regulated by state DPH and the Cannabis Control Commission with the same or similar uh, regulations to um, FDA, Food and Drug Administration. So those folks could get involved. Um, Who knows, maybe ATFE will go and, you know, try to, you know, know, claim, uh, you know, their spot. Um, And then you have the DEA who does have narcotic manufacturing and you know, controlled substance manufacturing regulations, because let's face it. I mean, if you think the cannabis facility needs security, imagine a facility that creates opiates like morphine. Right. So you have all of these, you know, kind of question marks of what the future holds. It, it's only, there are folks who say that, you know, uh, you know, that, um, you know, it's getting simpler, more simple. Is it more simple or simpler? More simple. It's getting, you know, more simple as time goes on, but, the reality is, is that it, this might be the calm before the storm. We don't know what that's going to look like. And so, uh, you know, uh, but I go back to um, uh, Attorney General Andrew Welling, you know, U.S. Uh, attorney for um, at the federal level uh, here in Massachusetts out of Boston, who said that as long as we, you know, follow a few basic rules, he has bigger fish to fry. Right. So, f- so when we talk about whether a cannabis facility is safe, Im- imagine that Andrew Lelling, who has, I believe, been in his role since.
0: Oh, I he's believe- out now. No, he's Andrew Lelling has 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 left the post. I don't know who the new I don't know who. The oh, new- OK. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that.
1: I'm not up to I'm not up to date on my news. Uh, well, uh, the last standing edict was uh, that as long as this industry didn't target children. Didn't get involved with money laundering or other crimes. He was uh, ill prepared to go after the state regulated industry when he has uh, hero- heroin and fentanyl and carfentanyl issues. I remember abound. that
0: clearly, yeah, and that was that was and and he was and he, right. He was a Republican under, appointed under under Republican leadership at the federal level, and we had folks like yeah, the ag the the attorney general at the, at the was. Talking all kinds of nonsense uh, over the past few years, so yeah, I'm glad that. So, that-
1: fa- so fancy that fancy this. Think, let's think about this. These facilities are so non-offensive that with a slam dunk case, I mean, a, any attorney general could go and hang their hat on these cases and make a name for themselves. They are choosing not to go after these facilities because they deem them to be safe, even though they are technically illegal at the federal level. Right. They are so safe that the federal government is not doing anything about it. Plus it's a political fire, firestorm if they do, but that's besides the point. Right. That's just, that's just added, you know, added character.
0: So, yeah. So bringing this back around to the theme of cannabis is a good neighbor. So, um, you know, not trying to, scare the audience, but, you know, or depending on who our audience is here, whether you're a municipal planning board member or whether you're a neighbor who is, you know, thinking about going to a planning board meeting or whether you're an entity out there uh, who has already experienced these concerns, um, you know, I think this level of attention, right, this level of detail, this level of knowledge, you know, that, that exists within the cannabis industry ought to put the general public Really at ease. Um, uh, You know, is there any is there any light at the end of that tunnel or what you know, what's your what's your feeling on, you know, uh, we talked about it earlier, maybe fewer, you know, you're getting fewer calls in from the from the from the chief of police, right? They say, hey, if you're following the laws, the laws are well written. uh, We feel good.
1: Yeah. And, and I will say this much also about, you know, about back to, you know, the police chief, uh, you know, the quote, unquote, the average police chief, if there is such a thing. Um, It also depends on their experience with cannabis, because for the most part, the feedback that we get. So we also do a lot of police stations and we, you know, are, you know, we we're known in the law enforcement community, typically in a positive manner, I think. Um, I'd like to hope so, at least uh they the the police chiefs who have dealt with cannabis more typically have a far better you know uh, or uh, a more favorable opinion and it's not that they have an opinion based on uh that it's not that their opinion is based on um just a good feeling or uh, you know whatever there it's that they are actually looking at, this industry and the the history of the facilities in their state or not state uh, municipality yep. and how little trouble, if any trouble at all, they have caused. And, you know, if, if you're a, a, a business owner and you can say that you have not caused any distraction, that's fine. Uh, now, Probably the, the other big, you know, uh, you know, security concern and not really security as much as life safety concern that you hear about is things like traffic.
0: And I gotta We've got a you, huge issue around traffic in this state, right? As soon as we, you know, the first couple of ones that opened up, that was the that was a huge concern.
1: Yeah, it, the first couple. And then, I mean, pre-COVID-19, you know, uh, when we were still all going out as a society, you really don't see that any anymore. Brian, uh, maybe maybe some of the big names that have a cult following, good for them, uh, who have um, like a a grand opening for a new store or a um, you know uh, an anniversary celebration or something, Um, but even that you don't even see the truck need for tra- police with traffic details and the like anymore.
0: Well, I mean, we're, we're still feeling the repercussions of that, right? We have, you know, our good friends in Lester mass opened their facility on the, what was it? Black Friday, you know, right after Thanksgiving. And it was on the only road connecting. It was the main, the only road connecting to the, to the Walmart. Right. And so the backup in traffic was just monumental. Right. And that, that, was an unfortunate confluence of circumstances I think is what happened there right it wasn't an indicative in, or you know it wasn't foreshadowing what was going to happen to every new dispensary that opened up it was just it was it was like you know the perfect storm i think is how i've heard it described um so and yet for the you know for the for the ongoing following two years at least Every community has been in uproar over that, over the traffic issue, right? And it, what is this going to do to disrupt our traffic? Um, I think that's a whole nother, I think this is, you know, potential for a whole nother conversation is, is, is traffic concerns around cannabis and whether people actually make unique trips to go buy cannabis or are they doing it the way they buy milk, right? It's an errand that you run because this is your daily routine or your weekly routine. You just, you know, it's another stop that you make. You're out in your car anyway. Um, that was at least pre covid a conversation now post covid um, you know are people ordering online more and picking up in store um, how are those you know how do you, well let me ask you andy do, do you see any differences in your in 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 your day-to-day with um, with your customers how those trends are are, are changing uh, are there are there is there more is there more order online pick up in store uh, is there more uh, e-commerce uh, that is you know actually lowering you um, Or or did did any of your customers close here during COVID? Were they forced to shut down? Uh, We
1: had some customers that uh, did a temporary, you know, uh, you know, shuttering of the door just to, you know, at the very start of the COVID-19 shutdown right about a year ago today or so. Yep. Um, That said, I don't think, I'm trying to think. Uh, Well, so uh, let's back up. So uh, our, our friends at Cultivate, so funny, funny story. I, you may know this. I actually grew up right down the hill from cultivating Lester. I did not know that. When I was in, you know, when I was in elementary school, my parents used to let me ride my bike up the hill. I would turn around in what was then the Lester tool and die parking lot and ride home. Yeah. Right. And so I, I know the town of Lester. Well, I ran for selectman several years ago before I moved out of town. Um, Lester's a, a fun community, um, not without its challenges and a community like Leicester is not prepared for the, the onslaught that was those first several weeks until the next round of, what was it? Five or seven adult use cannabis stores opened. Right. But by the, but within, within I'd say 60 days, 90 days, I, you know, I was having conversations with my, with my pops who my parents now live in the center of town uh, in a different home than where we grew up. And uh, it would be like, you know, Hey, is tr- the traffic really as bad as the news makes it out to be. And my father would just shrug his shoulders because even though the traffic was kind of gross over on the West side of town, there's very little out there. So it was a temporary inconvenience. Everyone got over it. It's not a problem anymore. I don't even think that they have to use their satellite parking anymore because at this point in time, There's competition. You don't have everybody in New York and New England who wanted to go and say that they wanted to buy legal cannabis east of the Mississippi, all showing up at only two businesses in two towns. And Northampton's, you know, a a bigger town. You know, I think they're actually a city. But even Northampton, you know, was going to, you know, struggled with that, you know, immediate onslaught. But then it went away. And now they are other businesses that are just chug, chugging along just like you know just like they were before um uh, there think uh, I think that the official figure that there's an expectation of something like 450 cannabis retail outlets opening in Massachusetts in the next uh, three to five years I think that's the number you keep hearing
0: I think we're, we're over a hundred now is that correct we're, we're somewhere over a hundred low numbers like 105 110 somewhere in that ballpark. Sounds
1: about right. Sounds about right. And and so if, if, if you think about it, um, we are now uh, at that point where there's no line, no wait for most stores. Yes, I get it. There are a few stores that have a cult following that have lines wrapped around the block. Absolutely good for them. Really happy that they're k- killing it like that. Couldn't be more happy. But that's not that's an exception, not the rule.
0: Yep.
1: And, but now you have to go present that at a town board meeting or a, a host community agreement, you know, uh, you know, meeting or, you know, commu- or, sorry, community outreach meeting. Um, and some people are upset. Some people, some people are going to continue to be against cannabis and it's not, we're talking logical answers to the problems, Brian. The reality is, is that for some people, this is not a logical problem.
0: This is a. You're bringing up a really interesting point, which is I, which is what I'm hearing as an architect, which is ambient security created not necessarily by cameras and alarm systems, but by location. What's your advice to a town when they're doing their zoning? Right, if we're looking at another two hundred. You know, facilities opening in Massachusetts in the next couple of years. What is a town official to think about choosing a location? In their town should it be a remote, you know, industrial neighborhood where they're allowed, where they want to push cannabis, or should they put it in the commercial village right next to the nail salon and or the liquor store or the you know or the you know what there's you know is it really causing havoc amongst you know daycare facilities and schools? Right, there's been I think that has been a kind of is that a real security concern or is that a, um, you know, perceived security concern?
1: Uh, again, you know, only being able to speak anecdotally about it um, unless I have missed something, which is always possible these days. I have yet to hear of a case of a child walking into a cannabis facility and buying right. cannabis, but, but, you know, it just doesn't happen. It's more like, you know, or even of, you know, uh, you know, I have I have coworkers and friends who joke about, you know, uh, you know, back when they were kids there, they'd go and sit outside the liquor store and offer, to, you know, money to a, a person to go into a straw pur- uh, purchase. Right. Could that happen? Sure. Absolutely. Could also happen at a liquor store. And, and quite frankly, like, you know, someone goes and smokes some cannabis and or, you know, takes some edibles. They just go and they get, you know, chill out and go and you know, you know, sit back and enjoy the ride, and uh, maybe they order a pizza. A person who goes and you know does a her pur- purchase, then goes gets behind the wheel of a car and crashes.
0: Right,
1: far more likely. Um, that's just one of those. It's again, we're going back to the logical versus the emotional attachment to what we have been told about cannabis for so long, much of which we are now actively proving. Is wrong now to so, your.
0: What about this thing about location? What what level? Do, what what? You know, I, I'm just thinking out loud here, but you know, many towns are pushing our customers into industrial zones, even when they're just doing retail. And why should the general public drive out to a a, a industrial park that they have otherwise no reason to go to, right? To buy cannabis when they could, you know, put it. In the in the commercial zone where all the other retail happens right do you think that day is far off uh, do you think that would improve general security to be bringing the the can or do you think that would endanger our our, our families and our and and, and and do you think that would literally you know, just again that's based on evidence I guess but is there any evidence that would suggest that having these these facilities in a commercial retail zone really poses any any threat yeah
1: I mean, Look, let, let's face it. It I uh, you just specifically asked about retail on the cultivation and manufacturing side. The I'll reality is well, that yeah, no, no nobody good. wants a 50,000 square foot right. mill building or um you know, factory in their neighborhood. Okay, we right. get it. That's cool. I think that most people get that. That's we we get it. That said, uh what about um you know, what about retail? Well, first of all, it's far more likely that a random police patrol is going to drive down Main Street than it is going to go and drive down Pine Street out in the boonies. It, it just that that's just logical, isn't it? Uh, you know the the odds of a uh, of you know a random law enforcement patrol driving you know down you know uh, a busier, more commercial area is far more likely. Now are those areas also more likely to have conflicting businesses like daycares and the type of thing that maybe, you know what, I'll bet you that the daycares that don't want cannabis facilities next door to them probably also don't want uh, liquor stores. Let's just face it. Right. Okay. We can, we, we can work with that. Um, it doesn't change the security systems much, whether it's out in the boonies or main street, you know what it does change is response time. Interesting. Law enforcement has, you know, does not have the same assets out in more rural areas as it does in more commercial areas, right? Um, or more downtown areas. Ergo, if a alarm activation happens, you know, at one Spring Street out on the edge of town, that might be a five to seven minute law enforcement response time, driving at breakneck speeds. Versus if it's right in downtown, where it, you know, it, yeah, I'm, I'm down at the donkeys right down the road, road. Road dispatch, I'll I'll head over there right now.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> and thirty seconds later, you know, they're driving past.
0: Right, that's so, an interesting perception, right? And what is and then so you ask the question, then what is important to the town, right? The retail mm-hmm. cannabis operator is going to want to be, you know, that's an obvious answer. But what you know, what can the town? begin to assimilate that data and can begin to get over the stigma that says, oh, yes, but we can't have that on our main street. What is that going to do to our town? Right? I think that's, that's what we're all as an industry hoping you know, we can come to terms with in the near future right? and, and have the understanding that, that that cannabis shop can actually provide additional cameras on the street. It's going to provide additional lighting. It's going to provide additional you know, jobs. It's going to provide additional traffic coming in and out that's going to bolster the businesses around them right
1: yeah absolutely and the reality is is especially um i mean you know i, I often hear from you know from uh from you know folks that i know that they're not really they don't really dig the smell of burning cannabis okay that's definitely uh, it's definitely can be a strong odor and it's not for everybody but with the advent of things like uh edibles beverages vape Etc. The reality is, is that a person who might be, uh, you know, in a coastal community walking, you know, uh, looking to go and walk out on the, you know, out, out on the beach and, you know, puff away in a vape pen, uh, they're not going to harm anybody. They're not going to bother anybody. They, uh, put that they deserve to have access or, uh, if somebody wants to put a store where they can easily access it in, the, you know, in amongst the the ice cream, the fudge, the right. beach towel store, the sandal store, the sunglasses store, oh, etc. Yeah.
0: The whole and Jersey Shore, baby. The whole Jersey absolutely, Shore.
1: Absolutely. Cape Cod, absolutely. Right? Route
0: 28 and Cape, right down the Cape and you just, you know, put it right next to the clam shack on Bass River. Like, I think it needs to happen, right?
1: And, and and having been in the Coast Guard out of Chatham and having been up the Bass River, I know exactly where you're talking about. The cannabis <laughs> retail store is not going to bother anybody up there. Those are people who are renting an Airbnb are going to go outside and, you know, and maybe have a smoke and guess what you think that the, uh, that, you know, cannabis is you know going to be problematic. They can go and buy a cigar. There's tobacco stores in these areas. Exactly. Nothing's going to stop them. Now it it, it, it comes back down to real quick, right? It comes back down to, again, anecdotally, if we want to have logical conversations of how to overcome, I'm very convinced that with Yankee ingenuity, we can overcome problems that have a logical base. This is awesome. The the emotional stuff I I struggle with uh, because I'm not an emotional person.
0: (laughs) This has been a, this is fantastic. You've touched on a couple of things. One is you touched about odor and odor control, and that is going to be one of the topics of our, of our podcast. We're going to, we're going to be interviewing uh, around odor control uh, uh, next, I think is noise control that we're going to talk about, right? Which is a bigger concern with with the, with the manufacturing facilities uh, that have you know twenty four seven operations and large uh, coolers. Um, but this conversation has been awesome. We're about like forty nine minutes, fifty minutes. Andy, this has been just fantastic. Um, couldn't have gone better. Thank you for your time. Thanks for uh, joining on this call um, and being part of our first inaugural "Cannabis is a Good Neighbor" podcast.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you having uh, us on, and we appreciate uh, An American Alarm, the awesome partnership that we've had with Anderson Porter. You guys have been awesome to work with for, gosh, Brian, how long has it been?
0: Uh, well, it, you know, it's been, I think, five, yeah, at least five years, right, since you've been at that. I think that's, yeah, I've been in this industry for seven years now, and I think we started working with you early on. So,
1: Sounds about right. Well, thanks for having us on, and uh, we'll be looking forward to doing this again with you, hopefully, okay?
0: And yeah, great. Awesome. Thank you.